If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. As Dave mentioned, um, you're in this series called First Things, and we're going to talk this morning a little bit about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I can say that today I don't believe I have any profound insight. I'm probably, if you've been around church for a, a number of years, I'm probably not going to say anything new. But honestly, I have been personally encouraged um, in a very radical way over the last few weeks. And I just hope to share with you some encouragement and some challenge in regards to what God desires to do in the life of his church. Is that, is that okay? Let's read Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. We'll read this text and I'll lead us in a prayer. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in your kindness, you promised to never leave us and never to forsake us. And you have fulfilled that promise by giving us your Holy Spirit. And we simply ask this morning, for those who have never heard or known the power and presence of your Spirit, I pray that they would today. For those of us who have known and some of this, you know, oh yes, I, I remember that. And yet we're just in this season of dryness and just striving in our own ability, in the name of Jesus, would you free us? For those in need of just healing and peace and renewal and restoration, all the, the beautiful things that you do in our lives, God. You know every need in this room and every person matters to you. So speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Francis Schaeffer was one of the great Christian thinkers of the last century. 
You wanted to have him at your conference. You wanted to, to read his books and he would give insight as to where the church was heading and what the big issues facing the church uh, were at that, that time. You can still read and many do his books today. But he was asked on one occasion this question. What is the greatest obstacle to the modern church? What a question to ask someone like Francis Schaeffer. What is the greatest obstacle to the ministry of the modern church. And what was surprising is what he didn't say. He did not say that the greatest obstacle to the modern church today is the rise of postmodernism. He did not say that the greatest obstacle to the church today was the rise of secularism. Nor did he say it was a lack of, you know, branding expertise by the church. Nor did he say the greatest obstacle was a lack of, of funding or resources or even the shrinking presence of the church in the public square. He said the greatest obstacle to the church today is ministry in the flesh. Now, if that language sounds a little unfamiliar or, or strange to you, it would be helpful to know how the Bible uses that term, the flesh. In one sense, it can refer to just general humanity, like our flesh and blood. But in a deeper sense, the term, if you read the Bible, flesh, refers to the total person living outside of and apart from the purpose and power of God. And that is a problem. Here's what Francis Schaeffer said. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of God's people, not in the circumstances surrounding them. If we do not want to waste our lives, then we must understand the importance of having a humble, quiet heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, my greatest concern for myself and for my family is living in the flesh. I don't want to be a husband that operates in the power of the flesh. I don't want to be a father operating in the power of the flesh. I don't want to live apart from God in my parenting. I don't want to live apart from, from God in, in my pastoring. My great concern for my life, and at times this ebbs and flows, but recently I've been reminded and made aware of this, this great problem. I do not want to live in the flesh. And our concern should be the same for the church. Reality San Francisco, your great concern should not be what new ministries are on the horizon or how well they are doing or not doing or how many, much finances you have. All those, those things matter. Our greatest concern should be doing ministry in the flesh. And of course, the answer to that problem is to live inside God's purposes and to live in God's power. How does this happen? Well, that's exactly what Luke the author of the book of Acts is telling us the birth of the church was a movement of the Holy Spirit. 
And Luke for, uh, records for us the book of Acts, which if you've never read it, I highly encourage you to do so. When I was a new Christian, Acts was one of the first books I read and I couldn't stop reading it. I'd read it at night. I was like, oh, what happens next? I'm like, next page was like Netflix or whatever, you know, before that was a thing. I was like binging on Acts. And then it ends and I was like, it's such a cliffhanger. I was like, what? Where's the next season? And this pastor's like, you're the next season. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is insane. I'm a part of this story. So it's this incredible book, my little advertisement for the book of Acts. How can we avoid living apart from God without purpose? How can you, how can I think of my own community in London be a movement of God's spirit? What does this text teach us? I just want to give us three simple, they're not even so much points. I guess they're, they're just charges. There's a lot that can be said about the Holy Spirit. There can a lot that can be said about the different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I just want to keep it pretty simple this morning. And I think it has to do with our posture. And the first statement I'd like to make is this. We must receive from the Holy Spirit. What was the very first commandment here in this text that the risen Jesus gave his assembled apostles? What was the very first task he, he gave this, this, this group who would go on to establish the largest religion in the world? His first commandment was do nothing. <laughs> His first commandment is wait. It's one of the things that I hate most in life, which is a great irony because I'm a parent of three children, and I feel as if all I do is wait. I'm a person that likes to be on time. I think time is a thing. Anybody else? Like, some, for some of you, time is a concept. You're like, what? And they're like, no, no, no. It's a reality, like a concrete reality. What time is it? Like, the time is now, and in a minute, it will be one minute after that. So I'm like the, the parent at the door, and my kids are like, where are my shoes? I'm like, where you put them yesterday? I don't know. I'm like, ah. And then we like leave the house. My little one's like, toilet. I'm like, ah. Like, we need to go back. And I just, I wait a lot. But few things will teach you important lessons like waiting. And for this reason, many have actually referred to waiting as a school, or at least Andrew Murray did. He said, at our first entrance into the school of waiting upon God, the heart is mainly set on the blessings which we wait for. God graciously uses our needs and desires to help educate us for something higher than we were thinking of. We were seeking gifts. He, the giver, longs to give himself. Think about how hard it was for this group of, of leaders to hear this first word of instruction. For days, they were instructed to do nothing. And yet there was so much need. For Many of us were aware of needs around us, orphans and widows and, and nations and people who haven't heard the news and, and people who are in pain and people who are suffering. There's so many lives at, at stake. And yet Jesus says as clearly as he possibly could, first and foremost, don't do anything. Now that is not to say that there's nothing to do. 
For a little bit of context, Jesus had been ministering publicly for three years, healing and preaching and gathering and explaining and teaching all the way to the cross where he was crucified to die as a sacrifice for all of our sins on Good Friday, rose again on Easter Sunday. He told his, his leaders, his group of disciples that, that they were going to go out and they were going to do all this work and spread this, this good news you know, to, to the ends of the earth. And he has said now that a new day has dawned men and women who would follow them would literally change the world. They have this new mission. But the first thing that they were to do is nothing. But it's not because there was nothing to do. He's showing them, and I think he's showing and reminding us that our purpose cannot be accomplished by anything that we can provide. We must receive from the Spirit. I want to think practically for, um, about that in a moment, but let's just remember that this should not have been news to the disciples. Jesus had told them on the night before he died that he was, he was going to, to go away. This is what he's referring to in verse 4. He says, you have heard me speak about this. Jesus was describing what life was going to be like without him being physically present. I mean, his disciples had traveled with Jesus and he's about to, to die. And he says, I'm going to go away. And the disciples, you know, are just totally depressed. And like them, we too think of all the hardships in the world. We think of how difficult perhaps the Christian life might be. And sometimes we're tempted to think if only Jesus were right here, if only Jesus were just standing right next to me. But a shift in their relationship was about to happen. And here's what Jesus said. In John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I am going away. Pause, don't read the next sentence. <laughs> what could be better than the physical presence of Jesus? He answers, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What could possibly be better than Jesus right next to them? the Holy Spirit inside of them. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, the Spirit of God. God would literally reside in his people, his, his believers. And there are several obvious reasons of why this could be better. Jesus says, it's to your advantage, some translations say, that I actually go away. And there are many reasons for that. But one advantage is that the ministry of Jesus would no longer be limited to a physical location. But his ministry would actually extend across the globe through his people. And that is Luke, the author of this, this letter, his point. This is not about the start of our own ministry. This is not about our church. This is a continuation of Christ's ministry. You are a continuation of the ministry that Jesus began. And personally, I, I, I just want to ask you this, this honest and yet very simple question. Do you and I know that all that we're called to do does not depend on our own power or strength? Like, do we really know that? I know, you know, many of you would say, yes, the Bible says, I, I understand. But do we believe that? Or better yet, do we act like that is the case? 
Because oftentimes I don't. Oftentimes I act as if it does depend on me. And if you see me just striving and stressed out and super anxious, it's because in some way, shape, or form, I'm essentially trying to accomplish the impossible in my own effort and my own strength. Now, so much teaching I hear Sounds as if all we need to do is grab some principles from the Bible and there's some great truths there and then we just kind of figure out, sort it out on our own and we can make this happen. At least it's spoken of in that way. But Christianity is absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit. Christian marriage is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, amen. (laughs) Parenting, definitely impossible. Christian parenting without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the good news of of the gospel is that when you put your faith in Jesus, when you you turn to him, we're told that, that God puts his spirit inside of you. And this is wonderful because when I was a brand new Christian years ago, I thought that there were like two classes of Christians. I thought on the one hand, there were like normal Christians like me. And then on the other hand, there were like next level Christians. Like, you know, there were like supercharged, extra holy Christians. And then people like me who were just doomed to live like this mediocre Christian life and nothing great ever really happened. And sometimes, sadly, the church kind of presents it, you know, that way. But thank God, I was dead wrong. When I actually read scripture, when I read through the Bible, I was amazed that like every person who puts their faith in Jesus is, is God makes his home in us. This is absolutely incredible. See, the Holy Spirit's power is not the privilege of special believers, but the promise to every believer. And that is good news. It's not like God's like, "Mm, you're amazing. I'm definitely giving the Holy Spirit to you. You're mediocre. Eh, you know, we'll talk in a year. And you're like, Jesus, can I earn the Holy Spirit yet? He's like, oh, you know, the way you sing on Sundays, like it's just not that great. But this person, they're just like going crazy. So they get the Holy Spirit. You don't. Friends, that is so far from the truth. Every person who simply trusts in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he makes his home in us. This is one of the most basic elementary truths of Christian faith and personally, to be honest, I feel like God is renewing me of that. It's been a, you know, it's just been a crazy season for me and my family and what it's taught us in these last few years, even though I've been doing ministry for some time, is just the simplicity of childlike desperation for God. Just waking up in the morning being like, okay, Lord, Apart from you, I can do nothing. But you've given me your spirit. So I can do the impossible. This is, have you ever just stopped to think how amazing that is? God makes his home in you. And everything he tells you to, to do, everything he's called you to do, he's going to give you the power for it. That is incredible. And that's available to everyone. There's no first class Christians, no second class Christians. There's nothing like that in the church. And may we not act like that. However, Stephen Siemens once said, though the Holy Spirit is present in every, every believer, he's not always preeminent in every believer. We all know those times where we're not allowing God to, to move freely in our lives. The, the word Jesus uses here in this text when he says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word means to be immersed in the life of the Spirit, which shows us that this is not a, a one-time experience. It's a lifestyle. We must receive from the Holy Spirit. 
Secondly, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit. In a continual sense, we must rely on his power and his presence for all that we do. The disciples in verse 6, they go on to ask this, this question. What's the plan? Is the kingdom, you know, all that they knew that the Old Testament had promised about the kingdom of God, when's this going to come out? I want the timeline. I want the very specific instructions. I want the map. And when I read this question, I just think, man, these guys get me. Because so often my prayer to God is like, if you could just give me like the PDF of like, here's 2018, this is going to happen then, it's going to be a little rough patch, you know, around, you know, February, because it's dark in England in February, and like, oh, but there's going to be April, and I'm going to do this, and oh, I would just love to get the PDF from God. And I just think, I just wonder if that's what was going on in the lives of the disciples there, and Jesus is like, no. I'm like, really? I just, I just want the details. And Jesus is saying, like, no, you don't need all the details. You don't need the exact timeline. But verse 8, here's what you need to know. You will receive power and you will be my witness. Ongoing sense, we must rely on the Spirit. Why? To be his witness. And for that, we need power. Now, what does it mean to, to be a witness? I think it means at least three things. First, you're a witness of something. Secondly, you're a witness to something. And thirdly, you're a witness unto something in an ongoing sense to a location. And that's precisely, I think, what, what Jesus is saying here. And this is to be true of every person in the church. First and foremost, you are a witness of something. As these disciples, in a very specific and special sense, these people gathered here in the first chapter of Acts, they had seen the risen Lord Jesus. They had experienced his presence and his power, and they're about to be sent out on this mission to testify of this. But it began there. They were witnesses of something. And friends, the same is true. It begins here. We are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And notice, by the way, witnessing isn't something you do. It's something you are. It says, you shall be my witnesses. First, of something, the, the changed life reality that Jesus brings. I mean, these men and women, their lives were radically changed. Has your life been changed by Jesus Christ? Has your life been changed by Jesus Christ? If so, you are a witness of this because the reason it's important to ask that is because everything else will flow from that place. You're a witness of something. But as a result, then, you're a witness to something. As a result of this changed life, you testify of this to others. You share of this life with others. And thirdly, you're a witness unto. It's a continuation of the first two. I continue to be a witness of who God is and what he's doing in my life. And I declare this in word and in deed in my life. And I continue to take this to the ends of the earth. In short, a witness means to declare the good news of God and display it with your life. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And your life is going to point people to me. The way that you deal with suffering, the way that you deal with hardship, the way that you receive blessings, the way that you face the ups and downs in life, the way that you speak, the words that you say, all these things God is calling you to testify of Jesus. You're going to be a good news people. 
because the Holy Spirit is going to be powerfully at work in your life. And that's, by the way, one of the evidences you know the Holy Spirit is really working in your life is you just have a passion for the gospel. Just a passion for the gospel. I know some conversations when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the church can get very technical and very specific, but I just want to keep it really simple. God's, the Holy Spirit's going to give you a passion for Jesus. And you're just going to be overwhelmed by, my goodness, Jesus is amazing. He died for me. He lived for me. He rose again for me. He loves me. I mean, isn't it amazing that, that your call as a, as, a, as a Christian just begins there in the most simple and beautiful truth? Being overwhelmed by the love of God for you? It begins to grow. It begins to grow. And it grows by a continual reliance on the Holy Spirit. If you go on to read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll notice that none of the disciples would have told you later on that it was better to have the physical presence of Jesus. They would, they would have displayed the power and work of the Holy Spirit in, in their lives. And I know this is something very simple and basic, but compare the lives of these men and women that you read about in the Gospels where they're just, you know, always kind of falling over themselves. And yet in the book of Acts, we see this tremendous result, but it is not owed to their own creativity or to their own ingenuity. It is nothing but the supernatural, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in and through their lives. That's why D.L. Moody once said that the greatest evangelist is the Holy Spirit. And that's good news for me because like there's no perfect formula or like when I'm having a conversation with someone like, and then I present this particular argument and then I come around and I challenge you with this and then my aha moment comes in three minutes later. And I, I actually feel very privileged as, a, as, as someone who teaches regularly. I get to watch the Holy Spirit work in profound ways because I would just preach like this mediocre like, you know, sermon or whatever and sometimes it's awful. And I'll talk to someone, this actually happened last Sunday, very mediocre sermon I might add. <laughs> and, and I come out and they're kind of wrestling with Christianity and this woman said to me, I had all these questions about God and today he answered every one of them. And I was like, Holy Spirit, amazing. <laughs> like, it's just so, I was so refreshed by them. Like, God, you are at work. Because one of the things that the Holy Spirit does that Jesus was very clear about, says, he will convince the world about me. He doesn't say you will. Yes, he will use you. Yes, it is good for us to learn and to grow in, in, in our knowledge of that and present that to people. But that's the means by which God uses. But the way in which a heart is changed is by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who does the work, and that is so encouraging. The Holy Spirit takes what is true and makes it real to your heart. And he continues to do that in the church, and he wants to do that in our lives. And where is that going to take us? Jesus says, all over the place. As we rely on the Spirit, he shows us our place in this great mission that he has for the church. He says, this is where it's going to go, to the ends of the earth. But how do I know where my place is in that? The Holy Spirit will show you. It's one of the very beautiful and specific ministries of the Holy Spirit is he shows us our role within what many call the Great Commission. This command to go forth and to share this news and to, to care for the people in your life and to point them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us in that. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. They may notice, by the way, these places that Jesus mentions, they weren't like easy wins. Jerusalem, 
was, by way of reminder, where Jesus was crucified. Not really like the best, you know, kind of most open, welcoming environment. So no doubt the disciples are like, here? Like, I think they literally just crucified you, like, just a while back, and like, you rose again, and you're saying we're going to be a witness here? Jesus says, yes. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Samaria, oh, we've got a long, weird kind of a history with Samaria. Like, it's not good. There's some tension there and whatnot. Jesus says, you're going to be a witness there. How? By the Holy Spirit. Even to the ends of the earth. Now, I'd love for you to do this. I'd love for you to look at this particular verse where Jesus is telling them where they are going to go in verse 8. And I'd love for you to put your name in that sentence. Really simple exercise, and I'll just do it for myself. But Tim... Yes, Lord, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And Tim, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, this is your call. You rely on the Holy Spirit and he sends you out to San Francisco and beyond, the ends of the earth, even Oakland. Like, we're just, God's going to send you all over the place. (laughs) I'm kidding. One of the most beautiful things about this is you know that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in a church when the mission of Jesus becomes personal. When the mission of Jesus becomes personal for every member. So my question for you, friends, is do you know what part of the mission belongs to you? Or maybe put it another way. Have you asked, Jesus, what part of the mission do you want me to throw myself into? Yes, we're all called to preach. Yes, we're all called to serve. But but where? Jesus, would you show me? May that be your prayer today. Has this grand mission of Christ become personal for you? I'm amazed at how in in the book of Acts, the gospel spreads through regular members of the church. It doesn't even even matter. It was just through all kinds of people. It doesn't matter what their background, where they were from. They began to think of their careers in light of the mission of God. They began to think of their, their relationships in light of the mission of God. So how do I rely on the Spirit? How do I move forward in this? I'd say just two very simple things. Obey Scripture and pray a lot. Read scripture and say, okay, God, it's telling me this, you know, as a husband, as a father, do this. Okay, I need the power of the Holy Spirit for this. Okay, the scripture tells me to to share the good news. I need the power of the Holy Spirit for this. Obey scripture and just pray a lot. And what you will begin to see is everything from the most extraordinary happen to even the most ordinary. And that's one of the things I love to see is when you read through Acts, you see all kinds of things happening. From one end of the spectrum, you just see this incredible, you know, miraculous move of the Spirit of God. There's, there's healing, there's miracles, signs, and these wonders. And on the other hand, you see the most practical down-to-earth. You see people motivated by the Spirit to show hospitality and to teach and to care for other men and women. And it's, all of it, by the way, is attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul The apostle, for example, did not view his ministry as being only at certain times led by the Holy Spirit. He saw the whole of his ministry as being led by the Holy Spirit. No one gift shows the Holy Spirit more than another. 
See, oftentimes we begin to compare and contrast experiences. You know, it, this happens especially with spiritual gifts. You know, some person has like a really, you know, more kind of visible gift, like, you know, a prophetic utterance and everyone's like, oh my goodness, maybe that happened at your community group. But the person with the gift of administration, they're like, well, I set up everything tonight, you know, like <laughs> you wouldn't have gotten in the room and you wouldn't have had this casserole I made had not the Holy Spirit, you know, been at work in me. Friends, we've got to be very careful not to compare any of this, but just to allow the Spirit to guide us and lead us into what it is that he wants us to do. And as we do, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind all that God has for us. He'll bring to mind Scripture. He'll empower us. But we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit for this. When I met Britt Merrick, who, as many of you know, is you know, started the first reality church, dear friend of mine. And way back in 2004, 2005, when uh, we were on the phone and he was asking my wife and I to pray about moving to Los Angeles to, to plant um, what would be Reality LA. We prayed a lot about it, prayed for months and months. And I remember calling him after, I think it was eight months, my wife and I really praying, God, do you want us to go um, to Los Angeles? Do you want us to start the, this church? And as I was sensing that conviction from God, yes, this is what we were supposed to do, I began to have all these plans uh, in, in my mind. I'm like, okay, we'll move there and we'll do this. We'll get some people together. We'll start a, a Bible study. So all these kind of plans are forming in my mind, all these different ideas. And I remember calling Britt. And saying, okay, I think God has made it very clear that we're supposed to do this. When do we start? And he said, no, you need to move to Carpinteria for a year and we're going to do nothing but have prayer meetings. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, we're going to like start the thing. <laughs> like, we're just going to move there. Like, start it. And he's like, no. What we need to set in stone in our culture from day one is we do nothing apart from reliance upon God. And it was such a lesson for us to, to go and move. It doesn't mean that, that, you know, there's difference between passive waiting and active waiting, but it was one of the greatest lessons for us to go and to just pray. And it's one of the reasons why in the life of your church and life of our church, we have these regular rhythms of, of prayer. You, as you just celebrated your annual vision and prayer night, friends, that is not wasted time. It's depending on God. It's saying, God, we can't do this without you. We've, we've got to pray. We've got to seek you for this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I love, he said this about revival. He wrote a lot about revival. Listen, listen to these words. It's powerful. He says, conservatives would rather work to reform church theology and practice. Intellectuals doubt supernatural intervention. Rationalists dismiss emotional enthusiasm. All convene committees and organize campaigns, but few will plead for revival. And I read that and I thought, Lord, I do not want to be operating as though I could make this happen. As a church, we cannot live like that. I would encourage you, friends, today to ask God, whatever area of life he's bringing to mind, just simply ask him today, God, would you make me effective? Because I know that it's not going to be about, you know, what I can do. Make me effective. Now, I know all of the objections in your minds. 
I don't know enough. I'm not ready. I feel scared. I feel fearful. I'm not, you know, educated enough. I'm not good with conversation. Socially, it's a little bit tricky for me. I know all of the, I know all of the, the complaints and the arguments when we wrestle with God, like, uh, to step out and to preach the gospel, to get involved in a church c- community. Like, I don't have what it takes. And the Holy Spirit says, right, you don't have what it takes. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he accomplishes his work through you. You know what Jesus said? He said that any person, even the least in his kingdom, is in a greater position than John the Baptist. Now, that's a crazy thing to say because Jesus also at one time said, of the prophets, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. How's that going to happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, this is not dependent on your natural abilities, your personality, but the power of the Spirit of God coming upon you and moving through you. Look at verse 5. John's message was a message of repentance. But unlike John's baptism, people would actually receive power. Jesus went on to even say something crazier still. In John 14, 12, he says, Truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to my Father. Wait, greater works than than these? Greater works than Jesus? Well, yes, primarily, I believe, in two ways. Expansion and conversion both in depth and in breadth. To the ends of the earth, Jesus, again, would no longer be limited to a physical locality, but by his church, empowered by the Spirit, would go to the ends of the earth. But secondly, conversion, because now that Jesus had risen again from the dead, it is possible for people to be forgiven and brought into restored relationship with God. And that person is given a new heart, changed from the inside out. And this is what the earthly ministry of Jesus was pointing towards. Once he had died and risen, and again, now people could truly be saved. And as people are led to Jesus Christ through the ministry of the church in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are participating in this greater work. And the greatest work of all is to bring people to Jesus. Why? Because this is God's ultimate purpose, to bring us into relationship with himself. And that's my final encouragement to you is simply this. We must relate to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, oftentimes, if if you're like me, I relate to the Holy Spirit like I relate to my internal organs. (laughs) Strange analogy, just go with it. I know they're absolutely important. I know they're there, but oftentimes I just function as though they're not, you know? I just kind of do my thing and, and live my life. And that's not how God desires us to live in relation to the Spirit of God. To experience him is is to know him. And why I want to make this a point is because church, if we don't realize that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we will end up just exhausted, burnt out. It's so easy to think about all the work that needs to to be done. And the more we dwell on the need, the more you hear the church announcement about this needs to be done and that needs to be done. We're going to be like, oh, and we make all these resolutions. Many of you probably made them first of January. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the whole Bible in a month. Now it's February and you're like, uh, you know, you look at your Fitbit, you're like, oh no. And then like, you know, I haven't 
keep up on my daily Bible reading plan. Like, ah. But I believe that's because we view ourselves as workers first and worshipers second. And that's something I believe the Holy Spirit wants to radically change in every single one of us. Listen, friends, God is not short on power or resources. He's not looking down thinking, oh, yeah, these guys, like, I could definitely make this work. Like, if I just had their resources. (laughs) God does not use us because he needs us. He uses us because he loves us. And so inviting you to a deeper place of the Holy Spirit is not a call out of his need. It's a call out of his love. He says, I love you. You are to be with me. John 14, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This great commission is not something we accomplish for God. It is something we accomplish with God. And I think that's one of the biggest adjustments that's had to be made in my own life. We are worshipers first and workers second. All of our ministry must flow from a place of intimacy. In fact, the goal, what's the goal of ministry? What's the goal of your church? The goal is intimacy. The goal is that people who are far from God would come near to God. The goal is that people who have turned away from God would turn towards God. The the goal of ministry is, is intimacy. Ministry is not the ultimate goal. Intimacy is ministry exists because intimacy doesn't. God says, I've called you to myself, and now when I'm sending you out, I'm sending you out with myself to bring others to myself. It's all, friends, it's all about relationship. It's not the ministry that sustains the relationship. It's the relationship that sustains the ministry. And my heart needs that. And your heart needs that. There is this danger. If we separate what we're doing from our first love, we're warned about that again and again and again. But if we remember that he's our first love, that this is God, when we talk about being a church led by the spirit, it's being led by a God who who loves us. And if he is our first love, then what's going to happen is we're going to love what he loves. That's where it begins. So there's all this striving like, oh, I got to have a a greater heart. I got to have a greater compassion for my neighbors because I just, oh, I'm so frustrated with them. No, no, no. First, it starts here. God, let me see your love. And as you see his love for you, overwhelmed with that, you're sent out in love. And I think it's why Peter, when he he preached, listen to what he said in, in Acts 3 in a sermon when he's preaching this incredible message of salvation, he says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Turn to him that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I believe that that's something that God wants to do in us. A time of refreshing. Some of you might be scared. God's calling you to just surrender all to him. Some of you might be fearful, like, oh, if I just yield to the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? Like, it's pretty frightening. There's risk involved. But listen, you're never going to get a greater situation in the universe to risk than with a God who absolutely loves you and has given everything for you. 
There's no better circumstance in all of history or in the world than this. God who loves you, who gave his son for you to die for you, sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, is calling you to surrender everything. And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> Friends, the Holy Spirit is saying, come, yield. Some of you are being stirred right now. Like, I need to pray for healing, but I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. I should invite you to receive and to respond to what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do. The strength that you need, everything that you need comes from Christ's ministry to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The way God chose to give us power is by giving us himself. So he's saying, come, come to me. And the more I see my name is engraved upon his heart, what happens is he begins to engrave his mission on my heart. And he's inviting you into that. He's inviting you to step. He's inviting you to step forward and just surrender. Let's pray that now. Father, we do ask for a fresh move of your spirit. We thank you that this is nothing we need to manipulate. This is nothing we need to manufacture. It's just simply something you desire to do in us and through us. And we just simply invite you to speak and to move now. I pray for anyone who's never received Jesus that right now they would, that they would just simply say, Jesus, save me. I want to know relationship with you. I want to know I'm forgiven of sin. May they just simply pray that right now.